0: lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Richardson.
1: Thanks for joining us today. Today I have got a fabulous show. I've got Rabbi Wayne Dossick, a PhD, and he teaches in councils about faith, ethical values, life transformations, and evolving human consciousness. Well known for his quality scholarship and sacred spirit, he's a rabbi of the Elia Minion a retired visiting professor at the University of San Diego, and the host of the monthly internet radio show, Spirit Talk Live, heard on HealthyLife.net, the best-selling, award-winning author of nine critically acclaimed books, including the now-classic Living Judaism, and the more recent, The Real Name of God, Embracing the Full Essence of the Divine. He's the author of more than 400 articles of religious, political, and social commentary. He's a sought-after speaker. We're so blessed to have him with us today. He's appeared at more than 200 bookstores, synagogues, churches, schools, universities, and seminaries, hospitals, and healthcare facilities, businesses, corporations, community organizations. He's a man on the go. There's articles about Dr. Dossik and his books that have appeared in more than 100 newspapers and periodicals, and he's been interviewed on more than 300 radio and television shows, including Good Morning America and The Larry King Show, CNN, and NPR. He is a very valued speaker, and I'm so delighted to have him here. He's a recipient of Honorary Doctor of Divinity degrees from both the Hebrew Union College and the Jewish Theological Seminary. He's been called a rational intellect with the soul of a mystic. Oh, what a beautiful term a, a prophet from modern times and a gentle master of the human heart. Dr. Dossick, thank you so much for being with us and I know that you know not only are you a busy man that you're you reside in San Diego with your wife. Ellen kaufman dossick and your home is celebrated as a center for prayer, learning, healing, and a gathering place for spiritual seekers. And thank you for joining me here today, because that's what I hope that we can create on the show today, a gathering place for spiritual seekers.
2: Well, thank you very much. <clears throat> it's a great pleasure to be here, and thank you for that incredible introduction. Um, my uh, my late father would have been so proud, and my late mother wouldn't have believed it. So thank you. It's a uh, it's a delight. And yes, indeed, um, for the last two and a half years since COVID, our uh, our living room, our great room, has looked like a television studio because everything that we have done for our Prayer services in our classes uh, and in uh, many times interviews like this have been on zoom and so we have green screens and hanging microphones and lights and computers and um, and mixers and all kinds of uh, cords running through the house so it's been quite quite an experience over the last a few years uh, <clears throat> being interviewed and, and conducting services and classes um, for our piece.
1: Well, you know, it's amazing, and your wife is, is so supportive to let to turn your home into, you know, the green lights and the, the cameras and the action. But when you can bring peace to others, particularly during the last two years, where I think finding peace has been a little bit more difficult for a lot of us, myself included in that, uh, if you can provide that, then that in itself has got to be so rewarding.
2: Well, you know, we have all, all of us. Uh, undergone great trauma in the last two and a half years. And um, on one hand, it's been very, very difficult because it's affected everybody, even those who are supposed to be the comforters, and we become the wounded healers because we've been traumatized just like everybody else. And at the same time, it's been an incredible opportunity to go inside you know, we spend so much of our time doing, 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 and uh, running from place to place, and and we were forced by this, uh, this this COVID pandemic, we were forced to stay inside, and thus go inside and learn how to be, as much as to do, and therefore we each and every one of us, uh, to some extent, went on an inner spiritual journey, to find out. In the words of an um, ancient prayer, "Who are we and what are our lives?" And that that has been of good benefit to so many, because it forces us it forces us almost to stop and and um, and to stop running and running and running and doing and doing and doing, and, doing and to really uh, examine our lives and see who we are and what we want to do. What's our vision for ourselves and our world?
1: So, you know, I think that's something that so many people, clients at the Brain Performance Center will say, I want to do that, Lee. You know, I want to put the brakes on. But it's so hard to do. And, and of course, I give suggestions and strategies. But when someone, someone, and I'm sure you've heard that many times, Dr. Dossig, and when you hear that, how do you respond to that?
2: I respond by, by uh, saying, pick anyone of a myriad of spiritual toolboxes sometimes it's silence sometimes it's prayer meditation or chant sometimes it's um, it's uh, a just a, a deep soul inventory many many other ways of that uh, we can each concentrate on ourselves so if it takes um, meditation and there as you know there are 10 20 30 different meditative techniques if it takes prayer and whatever your particular uh, religious or spiritual tradition might be if it takes um, uh, turning off all the lights and sitting in the dark and being silent or if it takes doing yoga or uh, tai chi or chanting or um, exercise, or whatever it is, find the place that is your instrumentality, that is your a jumping off point, your diving board, if you will, into
1: yourself. Well, and that's, that's great advice, because we all have a place of comfort. Um, we all have a place of comfort that we can go to, and if we can just be able to take that first step... That first step is the hardest step, I think, that we have to take. And many times, you know, people want you to take it for them. You can take it with them, but you can't take it for them.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so spiritual guides like you, like me, like my wife, Ellen, you mentioned her. She's the the world master of a spiritual psychotherapy called soul memory discovery. And uh, she has been all the all through um, all through the pandemic, not only seeing. I, I use the word uh, um, carefully, not seeing, but <laughs> literally seeing, but talking to on the phone or on Zoom uh, clients and teaching classes and um, and training others to do the work that she does. So that um, that's one more way. To be out in the world uh, and to um, and to learn to self-examine. It was a, I forget who it was. One of the ancients, Aristotle or Socrates, who said, um, "It's only the self-examined life that's worth living."
1: that's a very that's that's a great saying because it, it truly is and i think that to, in today's world more people are looking for guidance more people are looking for a strategy they're looking for answers and it, i think it it has to start with asking yourself some difficult questions
2: well you know uh, once again the the i wrote this book radical loving which is not my tenth book thank you um Radical, Loving, One God, One World, One People as an aspirational book. And it turned out because of COVID, we were smacked in the face and aspiration uh, became reality that we had to check in with. So, for example, on in many, many ways, this has become a me, me, me world. What does that mean? It means that America, for example, was created with the motto, E Pluribus Unum, out of many should come one. And we, when I was growing up at least, uh, back in the uh, late 40s and early 50s and into the 60s, uh, we were what I used to call a front porch community. Uh, Because in Chicago, we sat on our front porches and listened with our little transistor radios to the White Sox or the Cubs game. We knew all the neighbors. We would sometimes have um, neighborhood barbecues for the Fourth of July or for Labor Day or Memorial Day. Everybody knew everybody. I could get away with nothing. If my mother went out to a meeting or shopping or whatever, by the time she got her coat off, when she came back home, the phone was ringing, Roberta, do you know what Wayne did while you were gone? (laughs) Uh, so we had we had a block full of mothers, right? And we were we, when when uh, the butchie next door got his fifty four Corvette. I mean, there was, the entire neighborhood came to see the new car. So there we were. And uh, I know the, the the night the White Sox won the pennant in 1959, uh, the entire city uh, just celebrated. But what happened is and for it's a number number of different reasons. If you want to go into them, I'll be glad to. But a number of reasons, we became not, not this one united community or striving for community or striving for the melting pot of America, but we became a uh, what I call a uh, patchwork quilt of special interests. Me, 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 my statistics, not for the team, but my statistics so I can sell myself to the highest bidder. Or not me. Not me. I'm not the. Uh, I'm not the uh, perpetrator here. I'm the victim. Poor me. Poor me. Poor me. And what has happened is that that um, we we no longer have this this one united front of trying to be a a, 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 a community community. So what happens? What happens is in for example. COVID, put it right in our face. So some people would say, really, we have to really open the business again because it's the only way I feed my family and my local dry cleaners or my pizza parlor or my nail salon is the way I feed my family and and I have to be able to pay the mortgage and put food on the table. Or I insist that businesses be open again so that I can go to uh, get my nails done and uh, go to the uh, local bar to drink and and uh, dance. Two entirely different approaches to uh, to being inside uh, be, being forced inside. And so it's in our face, it's in our face right now. Will we be a community of individuality. Of course, uh, individuality is a good thing. We're all individuals. We all have freedom and rights, but do my freedoms outweigh the common good, the greater good, the greatest good for the entire community? I have the right to to drive through a red light, but I don't do it because I have decided that I will help um, regulate society so that some of the cars go through my, my car, then your car, your car, then my car. It's the same thing here. Shall we shall we demand our individual rights and freedoms to the exclusion of others, or shall we decide that the greater good is the greatest good and strive to work together?
1: Well, that sometimes that can be very difficult to do because we all want to see the benefit of the greater good. But when we are in a place where we hurt and we feel desperate and we feel like we don't have hope, that's difficult to do. And I'm sure you've spent many an hour with those people in that spot.
2: Well, it is. It is and it's very painful. And at the same time, the, the decisions that we make right now are decisions that that will reverberate for years and centuries, decades and perhaps even centuries to come. You know, one of the things we learned, for example, I just had on my program yesterday, uh, Sarah Bowen, who is an animal chaplain, an interfaith minister who's an a, a animal chaplain whose book is called Sacred Sendoff, and she she's, cares about the animals in our lives. And, you know, I realized during COVID, that um that mountain here in in southern california mountain lions were running free in the streets of los angeles and dolphins were in the canals of venice and uh, the coyotes were walking walking very proudly down the down the street corner do we share do we share our land with those who are native to the land the mountain lions and the coyotes or do we say um, humankind is at the highest place of the, uh, of the evolutionary process and it all belongs to us and animals go away and, and we, won't, we won't pay attention to them? Those are the hard decisions that are the balance of how we decide to be human and humane.
1: Well, and what makes those decisions so hard is let's get let's just be real honest about it. It's all about the money. You know, Um, it costs a lot of money to let those people, those animals coexist with us. And we're afraid there's a lot of fear. So I think that the business world does play into all of those decisions. I own a business. You own a business. But we can't deny the impact that that has.
2: Oh, no question. No question. And so uh, there were businesses that exploited exploited, uh, the situation and tried to build up profits and build up profits and build up profits. I have a rabbi friend who told me a story about a man in his community who owns a sweater manufacturing company. And each Friday before the Sabbath, they check for a minute. And um, the rabbi told me that uh, this man said to him during during the pandemic, he said to him, uh, you know, rabbi, I had a good week. I had a good week because I was able to make payroll. And 300 people who are the employees of my company can go home today with a paycheck and feed their families and pay their rent. He never said to me once, "I sold thirty thousand sweaters this week." It wasn't his own. It wasn't his own uh, success. He, it was the success that he had in order to uh, take care of the people who, who manufactured those sweaters and um, and uh, whose families would have been hurting without the uh, without the paycheck. So it's all a matter of perspective. Uh, isn't it uh, do we do we say it's my my profit my profit or do we say um, I made payroll this week
1: absolutely that is that is a beautiful story because he was looking out for the goodness of everyone not just right. his goodness. Right. And I think that, you know, if we can all start to, to look for that greater goodness, and one of the words that has become more important to me, and I like not just the word, but to see it demonstrated, is kindness. Mm-hmm. Kindness moves me.
2: We have become uncivil. We speak to each other in terrible ways we uh we we um that's part of part of the problem that, uh, that, that America is facing we have demonized the other we have said he she is not like me, and therefore doesn't have a place here and doesn't belong here and so we have the white supremacists and we have the Islamophobes, and we have the anti-Semites, and we have um, the neo-Nazis coming up out of from their hiding places, and that's because uh, they were given permission to do so by the highest leadership in the land. And um, we've become uncivil with each other, and you are so right. Our our uh, pathway is toward love and toward compassion and toward goodness and toward kindness. So, you know, we are each created in the image of God. Not the physical image of God, but the spiritual image of God. And when we look into the mirror, we see the face of God. And if I look in your face, I see the face of God. And the only possible response to seeing the face of God, is love, love, love. And so if we understand that each of us is a child of God, a child of the universe, each one of us is created by God, each one of us is the child whom God loves, uh, and God doesn't play favorites, God loves all of us equally in the same way. We may call God by different names. We may uh, approach God in different ways, but it's all the same parent. God is the the one parent of us all. And that's my call to oneness consciousness. Know that we are one. There is one God. There is one world. There is one people. And in that case, how could you treat God with anything other than kindness? And how can you treat uh, somebody created the, in the image of God with anything but love and compassion and kindness?
1: You know that's so interesting because I work with different clients, and I work some in the in the gay community. And it's, I have a client that, you know, he he said God has turned his back on me, and I said, well, you must not know the same God that I know, because the God I know loves everybody, doesn't right. care. I mean, he doesn't care what your sexuality is. And he looked at me and he said, really? I said, absolutely. I mean and and I could tell you know he was like oh my gosh I haven't you know I haven't thought of it that way mm-hmm. and I think that I admire with all the work that you've done for a lot longer than the last two years but with the articles you know the the internet radio program you're putting out higher frequencies and you're giving people hope you're inspiring them you're helping them to open up their heart to the and honestly don't you think the goodness is out there
2: it's absolutely out there we just have to remind ourselves of it uh, every moment you know that, and that's part of that's part of understanding oneness consciousness. That that we have to be aware every moment. Awareness leads to consciousness. So, for example, um, I have a, I, I used to have a dog. Well, my dog died, it makes me very sad. But uh, I had a dog whistle, and uh, if I blew that dog whistle, I couldn't hear the sound, but my dog did because it was a higher frequency than my ears, my human ears uh, permitted, but the dog had a higher frequency in his ears. In the same way, if um, if I have only an AM radio, it won't get FM signals, even though the FM signals are out there all the time. If I have a camera and I open the lens as wide as possible and take the biggest picture I can, it doesn't mean that what's outside the camera lens isn't there. So in in spiritual terms, we talk about the white spaces between the black letters. There is much, much, much more to this world than we can see and hear and touch and feel because we are limited by our human capabilities, by our human bodies, by our physicality, um, by the... the the human brain uh, 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 as it's been developed so far. There's much, much, much more there to develop. But the more we become aware of what we don't see and what we don't hear and what we don't feel or touch, the more we uh, understand that that's a mystery that we can solve. And God gives us the tools The universe gives us the tools to see beyond, to hear beyond. And we just uh, need to be constantly aware. So if somebody says, God's not in my life, or uh, I simply say, turn here, turn there, turn this way, turn that way, there's no place that God isn't. God is everywhere. God is within you. And so uh, when we're aware of it, then we can be conscious of it, and we can be in that kind of relationship with God and with every one of God's children.
1: Oh, you make such important points, Dr. Dosick. And, you know, we've got a couple of minutes before break. So let's I'd like for you to think of a takeaway that we can leave our listeners with from the first half of the of the show. And it's when you feel like that you don't know God or when you feel like God doesn't know you or God doesn't like you or you don't like him. I mean, I felt that way before. I got to be honest. You know what? What can they do? Give us a couple minutes worth of advice.
2: There's a verse in the Psalms that says, "Out of the depths I have called you." Now, we each and all have undergone um, pain and suffering and tragedy and disappointment, and anger, and evil. And we call out, Min HaMetzar, that's the Hebrew words Min HaMetzar, we call out to God from the depths, and we say, oh God, you know, I can't do this by myself. I can't get out of bed. I can't get up out of the chair. I can't get up off the floor where I, where I have fallen. And so I'm turning to you, to your strength, to your wisdom, to your compassion, to your love. And I'm asking you to help me. And I'm asking you, even if I don't understand it on a cognitive, rational level, I understand it in my guts. I understand it in my kishkes, as we would say. I understand it as the core of my being, because you are my parents and you love me. So help me. And in the the second half of that Hebrew verse is a gorgeous Hebrew word, which says, in divine expansiveness, In the greatness, in the totality of God, God answers me and lifts me up. And so instead of rejecting God, instead of turning away from God, instead of being angry at God, uh, turn to God and say, I need your help. This is more than I can handle. And God will come running and say, you've got a friend. God will come running and say, I will help you and together we can accomplish anything and everything
1: wow what a, great, what a great thought to leave us with we're going to take a break and listeners I hope you come back after the break and we're going to learn more about how we are in control of, our, of the goodness that comes our way
0: we'll be back after these messages It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. To lose weight, we know that each day we need
1: to burn more calories than we take in through eating, and exercise burns more calories. According to Discovery Health, a 150-pound person will burn about 60 calories while taking a one-hour nap. One hour of sitting and watching television burns about the same. But if that 150-pound person takes a one-hour brisk walk, then say goodbye to more than 250 calories. Cardio exercise like running, biking, swimming, and brisk walking are the best modes of
0: exercise to burn the highest amount of calories and will get the endorphins flowing in your body. Those feel-good neurotransmitters boost your mood naturally. So use exercise to burn calories, lose weight, and to feel good. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com.
1: It's words never heard.
0: There's nothing like a high-profile court case to grab our attention. My mother was a court reporter and she would frequently share funny things that happened during a trial. An easygoing judge would often let off the pop and jays or repeat offenders. My mother would sometimes whisper to the judge, He'll never learn if you keep letting him off. Once in a while, the judge would reconsider and order the popinjay to the calaboose or jail. The court reporter records everything, including funny and embarrassing statements made by witnesses. Here's a statement made by a defendant accused of theft. Did you get a good look at my face when I took your purse? What's a word for the natural tendency to put your foot in your mouth? and topodology it's words you never i'm carolyn davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app too funny for words we're back now here's your host lee richardson
1: well, we're back from break, and I think we've all had a lot on our mind to think about over break, and and Dr. Dossick left us with some great words of wisdom, and I think that we, as we move forward, and I don't know about listeners, I don't know about all of you out there, but I am ready to move forward. I am, I've actually been ready for a while but I'm believing now that that movement is going to happen. Dr. Dasik. for those that are, are ready to move forward but aren't quite to the point where they can believe in it, what can they do?
2: Well, my, my suggestion is what I've called F-A-N-A-M-I, that is find a need and meet it. It goes like this. Back in 1996, uh, our home... And everything in it was destroyed by a California wildfire. So we lost everything we had. And we had no place to live. And uh, when I say everything we we had, I mean everything from a hundred-year-old Kanabi Grand Piano down to the last paperclip. So a, a man came to me, one of the kindest, sweetest, gentlest, and wealthiest men I knew. And he said, Rabbi, I feel so terrible for you. I want you to know what's mine is mine. Anything you need, anything you want, you just ask me. What was I going to ask him? Should should I say to him, um, uh, take me out to dinner, buy me a suit, build me a house? I I, I was embarrassed. I didn't know what to say. So um, I didn't say anything. So he wound up, he was very generous with us and very kind. But it occurred to me that we often do that. God forbid there's a tragedy, somebody dies, and we say to the mourner, um, anything you need, I'm here for you, I'm your friend, I love you, uh, anything you need, you just ask me. And you know what? Most of the time, nobody ever asks. So F-A-N-A-M-I, find a need and meet it. It means you say to the to the mourner, I understand your Uncle Charlie's coming in for the funeral, uh, give me his plane uh, arrangements, I'll go down to the airport and pick them up. You don't have to worry about it. Or is your good suit still at the cleaners? Give me the uh, the tag, I'll go get it for you. Or don't worry about the kids tonight. I'll take them out for pizza and a movie. Find a need and meet it. So I learned this tremendously from my son who's now close to 50, but this is when he was five years old, a long, long time ago. We tried to, in our family, replicate uh, the teachings of an ancient sage. It said of this ancient sage that if he, when he went to the marketplace, if he needed a piece of meat, he would buy two, one for himself and one for the hungry in his neighborhood. If he needed a bunch of vegetables, he would buy two, one for himself and one for the hungry in his neighborhood. So when the kids were little, we said the following. Every time we go to the supermarket, every time we go to the grocery store, we will buy one more item of uh, non-perishable food. A box of cereal, a box of mac and cheese, a can of tuna fish, a jar of peanut butter. We won't even take it into the house. We'll have uh, grocery sacks in the trunks of the car, and um, we'll just put it in there. And when we collected enough of those brown paper sacks, we took the food, to the local food pantry. Well, one day I was in the store with my son, who was then about five or so, and I took a box of cereal off a shelf, and I said, honey, how about this as our food gift for today? That was my first mistake as a parent. I should have asked him to choose, but I made that mistake. I said, how about this as our food gift today? And he looked at me, and he said, no okay. But no. I said, why not? He grabbed the cereal out of my hand, put it back on the shelf and took another box of cereal off the shelf, held it up to me and said, look, dad, this will be our food gift for today. And I said to him, honey, what's the difference? Cereal is cereal. He said, no, no, no. He said, there are hungry kids out there too. And kids like sugar frosted flakes better than we like Cheerios.
1: Out of the mouth of babes. In a split second, that
2: child taught me to see not a category of people, the hungry, the poor, the needy, but a child whom we might help feed and who likes one kind of cereal better than another. So it's, it's the same thing, you know. Uh, many, many churches, synagogues, uh, social service agencies make up Thanksgiving baskets, right, for the for the people who need uh, food for Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter or the Jewish high holidays. And what do we do? We always put in the same things: a turkey, um, the stuffing, uh, cranberries, the potatoes. Well, how about how about um, a bottle of sparkling apple cider, or a gaily decorated cake or a bag of colored jelly beans because somebody who want, needs a turkey also would love to be able to celebrate in joy and, um, and apple cider and um, jelly beans brings joy. In the that same is
1: way, such, I just have to say that is such a great point because we don't stop and celebrate all the, the things that bring us more joy. Right,
2: exactly. And in the same way, you know, we give away old clothes, right? Uh, a pair of pants, a blouse, a skirt, a shirt that is either out of fashion or no longer fits. And and if if a man needs a pair uh, a pair of pants, he also probably needs a pair of socks. But no one ever thinks to give away a pair of socks. They're old. They're dirty. Give away a pair of socks. Or if uh, if you don't want to give them away because they're old and dirty, stop off at the local store and pick up a pair of socks when you're taking it to the to the uh, homeless shelter because the um, most requested item in uh, in homeless shelters is socks, followed by the way by underwear and t-shirts. So give give away a pair of socks, or you know when we go to hotels i was just in a hotel the other day and they give they have these little bottles of shampoo and conditioner and all that stuff now the hotel doesn't expect you to take the pillow or the or the bathrobe or the towel but the the hotel once you open the shampoo it expects you to take the shampoo home with you well we all bring our designer shampoo so who needs a hotel shampoo right but what if we take the shampoo and the conditioner and collect two or three or five bottles of it and take it to the local shelter because one or two of those, one one of those bottles means a head wash for for or two or three for a person who doesn't have any shampoo at all find a need and meet it and it's one human being reaching out to another human being in compassion and love and kindness
1: what do you think stops us from doing that? Well, I don't know. We've become
2: jaded, we've become disaffected, we've become truth be told, selfish. We um we're concerned with our special interests, uh, and and when we are we contribute to the patchwork quilt of special interest instead of the melting pot of eplorice, you know?
1: Well, you know, and I think that that fear plays a role in that too. I honestly do. I think sometimes we're afraid to take us to do something that we've never done before, or we're afraid to step out of our comfort zone. I know I'll see, I have a lot of clients that they would rather give money i'll I'll stick a ten dollar bill in that envelope you know for your costly, but don't ask me to personally get involved.
2: Well, it's step by step. First of all, take the check. <laughs> because
1: take the money
2: take the, take the money and run because you can you can buy the the jelly beans with that check. Um, but it's a it's a, a slow process, and therefore, you know people, the the rule of fundraising, and being a rabbi, I've been in fundraising all my life, right? Because for our nonprofit organizations, that's what we have to do. We fundraise. People do not give to causes, no matter how good the cause. People give to people. And people do for other people. So if you say to somebody, this cause is important to me, I'm giving $10, would you join me in giving $10? That person will probably say yes because it's you. And you can bring along people in doing also because you say, I'm volunteering at the shelter or the food pantry this week. How about coming along with me? Would you like to join me? And we'll get a cup of coffee afterwards and we'll chat. We'll have a good time. Well, how do I say no to Lee, who's just asked me to do a good deed, to do something of meaning and worth,
1: and to join her doing it?
2: So people don't give to causes, people give to people.
1: Boy, you hit that nail on the head, you really did and and I think all of us had the capability to reach out to those that are around us, our family, our friends, and at times invite them to you know come stand with me um, I really support i support operation kindness and have for many many years and my kids love that because we you know they grew up with animals and I asked one of them the other day I said well what can you do and he's like well tell me what you want me to do Mm -hmm. and I was like boy when's the last time I heard that come out of his mouth (laughs) (laughs) but you're right I would would, would turn
2: it around I would first say how old is the child oh
1: he's an adult
2: oh he's an adult well you know Maybe he still needs some some prodding and say, well, what do you think? Here are three or four different possibilities. What 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 um, turns you on most?
1: Well, it's great. It's great advice, and and even to think about how we activate and how we draw people in, because that increases our own personal energy. That that increases the universal, the higher universal frequencies that I'm absorbing and I'm trying to put out there. Right, right, exactly. So, Inder, is Radical Love your last book?
2: Radical, Loving, One God, One World, One People. Uh, Actually, uh, today, today, what's the 19th, 2020? On Saturday, it is the one-year anniversary of the publication date of this book.
1: Well, happy anniversary. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. And uh, not
2: that I want to brag or boast, but um, I will. (laughs) It, it, this book won two first place uh, prizes uh, in the International Book Awards, one for religion in general and one for spirituality. And so, uh, this book, this book, uh, hopefully, will resonate with many, many people and um, and be somewhat of a, a guidepost to to to, um, to love and compassion and kindness and goodness.
1: So, what inspired you to write this book? I mean, you're a busy man. It's not like you're trying to fill time.
2: Well, not <laughs> well. You know, obviously, this is the tenth book. Which one of the things that I do is I write books, and then I used to go around the country talking about them. But of course, um, the pandemic has. Has made that impossible for the last couple of years. Uh, I wrote this book because I took a look around the world, and we've been we've been discussing a little bit this, a uh, little bit of this, uh, up till now. I took one look at the world, and saw that there was such pain and such suffering, and a great deal of it brought about by ourselves, uh, by demonizing the other and by discrimination and by bigotry and by senseless hatred and by islamophobia and by anti-semitism and um... neo-nazism and i said we can do better than this we can do better than this and why is why is our world behaving this way and can we find a blueprint a spiritually oriented blueprint for uh... changing things and moving them uh, in the in the directions that uh, we think far more proper than um, than hate and discrimination and bigotry.
1: Well, and when you think about, I, I love the title, and I kind of missed it until you repeated it. One God, you know, one one world. We are all in this together, and the sooner I think that we all wrap our heads around that and our heart around that the better we'll be.
2: Well, and, and there, there's another place that we can do things. You know, a smokestack of pollution in, in uh, Pittsburgh sends pollution to Paris. And a uh, plastic water bottle thrown into the Puget Sound winds up in a whale's belly in Mexico. We are so interconnected. There is nothing. It's like the you know the old the old Zen notion of the flap of a butterfly wing here changes everything in the world, and we are so interconnected with the environment, with um, with uh, the notion of um, a a united world uh, that we just have to behave that way because. Uh, our conduct, our personal proclivities are not personal proclivities and they're not private con- uh, um, conduct anymore. They affect everything, everything, everything in the world. And that's why uh, there's a, a, a Rebbe, a sage from a couple of uh, hundred years ago who said, every day I go outside to talk to God because inside I'm insulated. When I go outside, I, um, I I see my place in the ongoing process of the natural world. And so to remind myself, I go outside every day to express uh, praise and gratitude. And that's something else, Lee, if, if I may, I'd like to talk about for a moment, and that's gratitude. Because w- no matter how difficult life is, no matter how challenging or perplexing it is, there is so much, so much that we have to be grateful for. And so I I created a little practice for myself, which I'd like to share in hopes that others might uh, take this up as well. And that is I made a list for myself, a list of everyone in my life to whom I am grateful now, some of the people on this list, uh, most of the people on this list I may never have met. Going back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Leah in the Bible and Moses and Jesus and Muhammad and um, the authors, the philosophers, the thinkers whose works the, from antiquity, whose works that I read. the the authors of and the the thinkers of more contemporary books, everything that I've ever read and studied, Um, and then my own teachers and my own family and my deepest friends and my students, because I've learned from every single one of them, and I'm grateful to every single one of them, and Minus one of them, I would not be who I am today. And so I'm gra- I'm grateful to every one of them for helping form uh, form this being, and give me the kind of discernment um, and skills that um, that I have and need and use every day. For example, I mean, just one example is my sophomore high school English teachers on that list. Because she was the one who said to me over and over again, read, 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 so that you can write, write, write. And when I wrote my first book a long, long time ago, I tracked her down. It was long before the Internet and long before um, Google. Uh, but I tracked her down and found her and, um, and uh, sent her a copy of the book. And the next time I was in her city, I took her out to dinner to say thank you.
1: That's amazing.
2: And every once in a while, she's no longer with us on this earth, unfortunately. But every once in a while, when in my gratitude list every day, she'll pop up and say, she'll pop up and say to me, uh, "I understand you're going to be writing a good deal today. I'm sitting here with you. And and uh, you know, edit, edit, edit. Or it could be <laughs> one of my. It could be one of my. Uh, Text teachers or my rabbi teachers, or somebody from my family who pops up at that the moment that I need that kind of advice or counsel or guidance, uh, I know that I 'm not alone, and so I'm in such gratitude to every one of those people and if we could each one of us be in gratitude that way, we would understand. That um, life's not all about us, but whatever it is in our lives is totally dependent on everybody, everybody, everybody who is our uh, teacher and guide.
1: Well, I am grateful that you shared that with me because I start my day every day with, you know, naming three things that I'm grateful for. Mm -hmm. But I should focus on the on the people that I'm grateful for. Mm -hmm. That's and so that really that. Shift that has shifted my thinking on gratitude, and when you mentioned the teacher, I thought, oh, my mind went back, and you know, if we all just stop and let it be, and let those, let that energy roll through our our brain, we'll come up with all kinds of people that have, been, have played a very important role in our life.
2: Exactly, I have I have pictures of many of them uh, sitting on my shelves or on my walls right now. So my Rebbe's, my sages, my teachers um, I am who I am because of each one of them even the ones I disagree with tremendously or I've grown beyond, they were helpful in my formation and the other thing I want to mention is that in order for this world to heal in order for this world to be able to move forward the Breach between men and women, male and female has to be healed. It goes back all the way to metaphorically, the Garden of Eden. but you know this male female thing has really hurt us along the way. The domineering male, the hierarchical male, um, as opposed to the um, we web weaving nurturing female. Um, in Jungian terms, the, the male has to get in touch with his compassion, and the female has to get in touch with her power. And until we do that, there will be this breach, and there will be this division between people. And so one of the things uh, that's in this... Um, in radical loving, as I wrote a prayer of of um, the the coming together of the that which has broken us apart for all these centuries and millennia, and that too is is incredibly important. Um, there's no there's no um, coincidence that um, that in the last fifty years. After all, you know we're told that men create hierarchies and you climb the corporate ladder, but women, women weave webs and internet with each other. And there's no no coincidence that we call it the World Wide Web and the Internet. We don't call it the World Wide Ladder because it, it is a reflective of the beginning, beginning, beginning of the healing that has to take place, and it has to take place from both. Both the the male and the female. Men have to stop uh, domineering and ignoring women and paying less for the same kind of work. And at the same time, women have to stop being exploited. You know, you can't talk about equality when you don't walk into a boardroom and say, you're no longer to use my naked bodies to sell your blue jeans and your beer. So it's, it's uh, something that we have to do for ourselves and for each other and bring that kind of uh, healing to the world.
1: Well, I think that's, you know, your timing was great bringing that up because we've got about four minutes left. And that's that and there's so many takeaways I have from today's show. But that point in itself, it, it, it's, you know, it sounds so simple. But it's not. It's not simple at all. It's in our DNA. It's the way that, you know, the behavior we've seen modeled through our grandparents and our own parents. And it's harder to create change on, those, on that level sometimes than it is on more complex levels.
2: You're absolutely right.
1: So you know, in the last three minutes we have if people want to find out about you. Do you you do you have a weekly talk show? Correct.
2: It's a monthly talk show. Oh. on uh, the third third Wednesday of every month at nine uh, o'clock Pacific time and corresponding times all over the world. It's uh, it's at uh, healthylife.net on the internet, so you can get it on computers and um, and tablets and smartphones. And then if you miss it live, on the HealthyLife.net website, it is there for uh, three months, archived, so you can listen to it 24-7. The the, um, website for Radical Loving is called RadicalLovingBook.com. And there, you can find out more about me, you can find out more about the book. We also have made some chants to go along with the book because uh, chants go deeply into our uh, unconscious and bubble up when we need them uh, they, they are chants are uh, teachings and lessons uh, beyond words and so there are three or four chants that you can listen to uh, there as we used to say in the Southside of Chicago free for nothing and there's a CD that you can uh, purchase as well and um, if you want more and more about me there's a, a website called com. so there I am
1: well, it's glad to know that you've got so much out there. And the chants, I call, you know, I use affirmations a lot. Mm-hmm. And but, but to me, chants are, they're a form of affirmations. Um, is there any one chant that you might leave our listeners with that you well, would want to share?
2: Thank you. The theme song is, one God, one world, one people. One God, one world, one people. One God, one world, one people. people. Eating on earth. One God, one world, one people. One God, one world, one people. One God, one world, one people. Eden on earth. One God. One world. One people united in love. One God, ONE world. One people united in love. One God, ONE world, ONE people. One God, ONE world, ONE people. One God, ONE world, ONE people Eden on earth. One God, ONE world, ONE people. One God, ONE world, ONE people. One God, ONE world, one people Eden on earth.
1: Wow, what a great! That's the best ending I've ever had to our, to a show. <laughs> thank you so much, Dr. Dasik, for being with me today and and leaving us with that chant. Oh, thank, thank
2: you. you. A great, great time I was had by you all, and I really appreciate your uh, your concern, your depth of of concern and love for this uh, this topic and for healing the world in the way you do through your work.
1: Thank you so much, sir. Have a great day.
0: On behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com.